So imagine this. I tell you that there's a podcast about the restaurant. You work at the restaurant. And you decide to listen to an episode. Like the introduction. And in the introduction it says, If you've eaten family meal in the past two weeks at the place that I work, you have been microdosing on psilocybin. Obviously that's not true. I would never do that in a million years. I would never poison anyone or give anyone drugs without their consent or anything like that. <clears throat> and even with their consent, like, you know, <laughs> or at work. But this does lead me to a different point. Now, what do I mean by psilocybin? Psilocybin are magic mushrooms. And if you take an eighth, which is three and a half grams of magic mushrooms, you're going to see some shit. You're going to face some demons, and maybe, maybe not, depending upon what you have in your mind. But microdosing is not that. That's called a macro dose. And five grams in an empty stomach is called the hero's dose or the hero's journey. Um, as described by Terrence McKenna, who you should listen to if you like that kind of thing. And um, microdosing is less is fractions of a gram per day. Every day, very, very little amounts of psilocybin are given. Now, what does that do? That doesn't make you feel, you don't feel different. You don't start tripping. I mean, technically you are ingesting it, so you are quote-unquote tripping, but you're not tripping. You're not even stumbling. You won't even notice the difference at first. But most like other things, like uh, antidepressants, uh, they accumulate over time. So you can't take like an antidepressant and expect to be happy the next day. No, 30 days in, it starts to actually start working. So same thing with microdosing. You're not going to notice any difference until about a month. And then in a month... You'll realize that your clarity has improved, your focus is better, you are more happy in terms of like just general, general outlook is is positive and uh, there's not as much anxiety, as much stress, even though about the things that used to stress you out before. And it's worked not on some of the patients, like every single person that has ever taken microdosing psilocybin has reported and has clinically, you know, verified that that is what happens. Now, if there's someone there that obviously, say, for example, like there was a restaurant that, let's say, for example, we did it at work, right? There's people that, for religious reasons, can't consume mushrooms. I don't think that's a thing. Drugs, they wouldn't even know that they're consuming it. So even if it was against their religious beliefs, it wouldn't be counting against them because they didn't know. But I can imagine that all the people there, if they did that, and if they worked five days a week and ate family meal, and I microdosed them in psilocybin, which is also, again, like I said, I did, never did. That's never going to happen. Sorry if you want it to happen, but it's not because it would have to be a very controlled experiment because, you know, what if somebody likes mushrooms and they pick out all the good ones? <laughs> so that's the thing. I always daydream, I always daydreamt about that, about like what it would be like. But my friend, when he was in, when we were working out, and I was still a line cook, um, we were working together on the grill and he's like, man, if I have my own restaurant, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give every employee two lines of cocaine on the beginning of the shift. And I was like, that would make, that would make sense for the first 15 minutes of the service. But what are you going to do after when everyone fucking comes down? So we often joke at the restaurant how, like, on our last day, we were going to do that. And then, uh, what's his name? Captain Batman said, I'm going to do half the family meal with laxative and the other half with acid. So it'll be like a fucking Russian roulette. You either shit your pants or you trip your balls off. And I said, or both. (laughs) But can you imagine, just for a hot second, what it would be like if I macro-dosed everyone on mushrooms, with mushrooms? I would make, like, a chicken marsala dish with some wine and some chicken, some cheese, asparagus, delicious fucking like like demi glaze sauce, and I would throw mushrooms in it because marsala goes really well with mushrooms, and chicken marsala typically has mushrooms in it. But the mushrooms I would use, I would say that to you guys that they're bluefoot mushrooms. Bluefoot mushrooms are edible mushrooms that you could buy that look, taste, and 
smell exactly like psilocybin mushrooms. I see a lot of mushrooms smell like them, but these bluefoot mushrooms, they look predominant, predominantly, they look just like mushroom, like just like shrooms because they got these giant big blue stems where the mycelium gets bruised, which is why it turns blue, by the way. It's not the more blue, the better. No, that just means that the mycelium was bruised by contact. That's where it turns blue, but that's okay. Um, and I would just make that and imagine everyone, everyone eating it. And then literally every single employee, because they, everyone eats family meal, starts tripping balls at the same time on like a Saturday night. Like how crazy would that shit be? Like what would happen? I don't even know. But some people not notice it. People that have taken mushrooms before will actually understand what happened. And they'll probably remember it and then they'll be like, oh shit. Some, some, some people probably wouldn't even care. You know what I mean? Some other people would probably like it. Like, thanks dude. But like, can you imagine the people that would be freaked out? Oh my God. First of all, I would never do this because I don't want to go to jail. That's illegal. That's like, they're definitely poisoning people. And uh, so, yeah, and two, I'm not going to fucking give you guys mushrooms. Fuck you, fuck you guys. But microdosing is something different. So now, why, why do people microdose acid and mushrooms? Well, because there's other dependencies that you might have that are more detrimental to your health. For example, if you have a cocaine addiction, psilocybin can help. You could uh, take mushrooms and you can wean yourself off of the cocaine addiction. And every time you want cocaine, you just take a little bit of mushrooms. And then you'll no longer want it anymore. Because when you're on mushrooms, you don't really want anything else. You kind of want to go have a cigarette, but then you don't. You kind of want to smoke some bud, but then you don't. You, you know, you eventually, eventually you end up not doing it. And um, it, it's, more, it's more so than that. This guy, Terrence McKenna, believes that this is where we came from as a human being. So like when we were Neanderthals following cows around or whatever, oxen or mammoths around to hunt them for food, they would eat and then they would shit out, you know, poop. And then the mushrooms would grow in the poop and then we would eat the mushrooms. Because we were like, oh, plants, cool. But then once we ate the mushrooms, we were like, whoa, trippy, you know? And that's where, like, the whole soul and spirit came from. I don't know, but that's, I think it's a stretch. But regardless. So the other thing I was thinking about is uh, it's truffle season. Uh, not now, but it's going to be summer truffle season now, but it's bullshit. Truffle season is around, the, like, like, November, December, September. And what truffles are are these little mushrooms that grow underneath the ground. They are te te technically a fungi, a fungi or whatever, but they're not, they don't have caps and stems. They look like little rocks, little turds even. And there's, uh, there's different types of truffles, but there's predominantly, as far as we're concerned, there's only two, black and white truffles. Um, black truffles come from France, from Australia, actually, from Italy, and I believe another place or two. But the, the, the thing is that it makes them so intricate. It's so in some of them are so expensive, which are the white ones. White truffles come only from Italy. Um, there's only a s select place that they grow. And I'm not sure if people have tried to regrow them or not, but they're very, very hard to find because they grow completely underground. And one of the only ways to find them is to train a dog and or a pig, a boar, to go hunt for truffles. And you have a, you have a pig that's a truffle hunter. And they could sniff out these truffles from underneath the ground. They come and they dig and then you dig them up. A truffle about the size of a golf ball, right, was worth about $700, maybe a little less. Maybe a little, yeah, maybe a little less. So about a golf ball, no, 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 maybe a little, I'm sorry, maybe a little more. So like picture two golf balls worth of truffles, that's a thousand bucks, easy, maybe more. And when the truffle person comes to give you these truffles, she, it's, it's, it's a lovely young lady. She probably weighs about 115 pounds. Um, I don't remember her name, but she's pretty. You know, she's a girl. She's like a light, like, like light on her feet, like petite woman. And she comes into your restaurant with this little mini suitcase, like a traveling size suitcase, like for um, like carry on, you know? And she 
plops the suitcase on the table, unzips it, and takes out this towel, or like this kind of like picnic towel, picnic handkerchief, and in it are about 40 to 50 of those white golf balls. So now she's got about $30,000 at least of white truffles in her little thing. There's no security. She doesn't, she's not packing. She doesn't have a gun. You know what I mean? Like she, nobody knows who to attack, obviously. Nobody would know that, no, oh, this girl you know, should take her little suitcase. But if you did, what you could do is you could find that girl on her way to a restaurant, jam her up in the back alley. Don't scare the shit out of her. Just tell her to give you the truffles. Right there, go to Penn Station, hop on a train to Chicago and sell the whole fucking $30,000 worth of truffles for about 15 grand in, I may say, approximately 25 minutes. Because any restaurant in Chicago that you would go into that's up upscale would absolutely take your truffles, especially if you're giving them at a low price. And the funny thing is, is they would never ask you questions as to where you got it. <laughs> like, they don't give a fuck. Truffles don't have a, of a you know, like a paper trail because they're not that um, expensive, but they are expensive enough so you could be lucrative off some truffle stuff. So now if I read in the newspaper about a guy trying to jump a lady and getting shot over it, over some truffles, I'll know it was you. You know what I mean? <laughs> In the restaurant industry, we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses. There's certain things that I can improve on. There's certain things that other people can improve on and so on and so forth. But I think that ultimately what happens is, is people judge you on how, you're, how you perform in the restaurants versus other people. So, for example, on the expo line, it's where you hand out, it's where you organize the tickets. I've always been pretty proficient at that because I've been in the expo for a long time in a restaurant that was... Um, I would say I would say busier than Del Frisco's because nothing is busier than Del Frisco's, and Del Frisco's I used, to, I used to work there a while ago, right before this one. Um, so and then, but this restaurant was like, it was packed with people for lunch, 220 covers for lunch every day, and then for dinner we would you know we would rival numbers of like six 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 hundred seven hundred, but it was different because it was just me, it was one person, and I had to expo everything. It was pretty crazy, but. I'm, I'm a stronger suit on that. And then other things I'm not like, I don't like fucking doing out. I don't like filling out checklists. I don't like making checklists. I don't do that shit. I don't, I really don't. And, um, because I don't like it is because I don't do it. Now that's me. I have the privilege and the honor of not being able to quote unquote do it, even though I do no matter what, because I have a forte and other things. Forte is a strong point. A foible is your weakest. So whereas maybe I don't know how to, I don't, that's not that I don't know how to do, but I don't feel like sitting down for 45 minutes and writing out a schedule, even though I probably could. I would rather take a case of filet mignon and then the same, same 45 minutes, you know, cut it, clean it, and then do two, two, two cases that way. And the thing is, is once you understand that in people, not only will it help your life, it'll help their life and it'll make you both more productive. Because if you know that someone doesn't like doing something and it's quote unquote their turn to do it and you happen to be better than them at and you don't mind it, then you should take that the task off of their plate and figure out if, if you don't have to, if, to ask them if you have to, what their forte is that's something that you don't like. And next time you're tasked with that, you give it back to them. Because now the person's the person loves you for not being able for taking the schedule off their hands. So I don't have to fucking do that thing anymore. You get to write the schedule because you're not you know you're familiar with it and it's not too bad. And then that person is going to use his forte and cut that fucking fillet in half the time that you would because you just haven't have enough experience on cutting fillets. You know what I mean? Like it's utilizing the best things that all of us have and putting that foot forward. 
and stop and don't and be humble about it you know what i mean it's okay to ask for help it's okay to fuck up but ask don't just stand there 